I think Roland O'Gara could be managing the Cork Hurlers, the Irish soccer team. He could be managing anything. He's got the X factor. To win two Champions Cups with a club that doesn't really have that much of a history in the game. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition. Available now. Right, Rob Tanner is with us. The Athletics Leicester City correspondent. Rob, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I've had better mornings. I was going to say it's um, many trips to unheralded grounds next season coming your direction. Uh, I, I sympathise with you. It's very much off Broadway. What is the as the as you begin to pick through the wreckage of of what comes next? What what does come next for Leicester City? Uh, a fight to get back into the Premier League. I've, I've been covering the club for 13 seasons now, so I've seen them in the Championship and I've seen how that club's developed and grown enormously, the number of staff they employ there now. And I imagine they're all a little bit worried this morning. Obviously, we know what the financial implications are, relegation. Uh, this is a club that has flown very close to the sun and they've got burnt and they've come crashing down to earth because they've been so obsessed uh, for a number of years with European qualification. They've chased the dream and uh, they just haven't seen relegation. They haven't factored it in uh, to an equation, but it's a very real uh, prospect for any club in the Premier League that aspires to challenge the big six because it's uh, it's a massive task to do that, to bridge that gap in terms of the revenues and the finances. One of the things about being well run is that when you have an asset, you're supposed to cash in on it. But we're seeing somebody like Yuri Tielemans, who maybe would have been 35, 40, 45, 50, 60 million, depending on, you know, what the market was like at the precise moment that he was coming to market. He's going to be gone for free and a few others are going to be gone for now what looks like cup price deals. I'm not sure if they will end up being cup price deals. Maybe that the market will be hot enough for James Madison. But from a financial perspective, what kind of state are the club in? Um, well, the club will be able to survive. They've got King Power as their safety net. Uh, they've got a loan facility they can draw upon if if need be. But obviously, they're going to take a, a massive financial hit. Um, in terms of the player sales, I mean, it's always been their model to, to sell one asset every summer and then reinvest that money. Now, the key there is to reinvest it wisely. And what they haven't done over the last couple of years, a couple of years ago, because of COVID, they decided not to sell an asset because they didn't think the market would bring them enough value. In terms of Yuri Tielemans, there's been no takers for him over the last uh, two years. I mean, it's been well documented that, you know, he's refusing to sign a a new contract, but nobody's come in for him. Uh, I think he was aspiring for for a big six club, but um, they've all looked at him and thought, well, there's something missing from his game, so we won't take him. Uh, And they turned down two offers from James Madison last summer from Newcastle, the last one being around 32 million. And they obviously thought that wasn't value for him as an asset as well. You don't give your assets away. But obviously that means now they've, they've got to a stage where they've got over £100 million worth of investment in players that are all leaving for free because they're all out of contract. So they won't get anything for them. The likes of Charles Ayunchu, Ayosi Perez and Yuri Tielemans. Uh, Madison's still got a year. So they they could, uh, well, they will. They'll have to cash in on, on James Madison this summer. Newcastle have retained their interest. And Harvey Barnes as well, who's had a, a good season in terms of the goal-scoring ranks. So there's business to be done, a lot of business, because that squad needs rebuilding this summer. Um, they will probably have the biggest budget in the championship for sure. Um, so it's a, an all-out effort to get back into the Premier League. Who will be the manager? Well, we'll wait and see. Dean Smith, uh, obviously, is the interim Um He's uh, set to meet with Top, have discussions with Top, but I personally believe they'll be looking elsewhere. They'll be trying to bring in somebody completely fresh, have an overhaul of of things down at Seagrave, the training ground, uh, and and go again with uh, um, 
with renewed optimism. Uh, I think um, it's been so stale for the last 18 months or so uh, down there and it was only going in one direction. And I think um, they were hanging on and hanging on and trying to stick with Brendan Rodgers because of the achievements previously. But um, I think for a lot of us, we could see that all the warning signs were there, that uh, this was a a team that were heading for the trapdoor. And uh, it was too late when they brought Dean Smith in for just the last eight games. So he couldn't turn it around. Do you feel rather be a regret at getting rid of Brendan Rodgers when they did? Personally, um, no, I don't think so. I think um, there was a disconnect between him and some of his players. Uh, there was certainly a disconnect between the fan base and Brendan as well, um, despite his achievements previously. Um, I think they will regret they didn't do it earlier and, and give Dean Smith more of an opportunity um, to, to and John Terry and Craig Shakespeare's assistants as well, just to to breathe new belief into this squad. I mean, this was a squad that Brendan had said publicly on more than one occasion that uh, needed refreshing. A lot of the players had gone as far as they could with the club and he wanted to move them on. And then uh, FFP comp- uh, constraints meant that he couldn't. So he had to try and get a tune out of them. And uh, by that time, I think he'd lost a lot of that dressing room. So um, I think they should have done it a lot earlier. Has the defence been the, the main issue and concern? We were talking earlier in the show about the, the lack of clean sheets. I think the Newcastle game, the, the one previous to that was back in November. So clearly that's an issue. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, some the number of soft goals they've given away all season, individual errors, giving the ball away in the wrong areas of the pitch, being vulnerable to the counter-attack, and sometimes the setup defensively as well. I mean, the two centre-backs have, have been left totally exposed game after game. I mean, the flip side of that is they've, they're only the third side ever to be relegated that scored over 50 goals in the, in the Premier League. They scored 51. Goal scoring was never the problem. It was keeping it out of the other net that's uh, been proven to be their uh, their uh, downfall this season, and uh, I don't think you can like pick out individuals, but certainly the way the team was set up uh, defensively, they they were very frail and very open, and there was a massive gaps between the back line, the midfield, and the, and the strikers, and you need to be a bit more compact in the Premier League. And this is what I mean about a bit of complacency. They thought they were the, this Cavalier side that could go and play and score goals. Great, but you've got to defend. That's the basis. That's the foundation. Uh, and they lost that. They lost that. Um, they couldn't see that in the end. You know the way you said um, relegation wasn't really part of the, the club's thinking. Are we are, are, do, are we to assume that there are relegation clauses in the contracts of the players who are at least under contract that they will be able to, you know, that they did plan properly for those things to happen? Yeah. Yes, there will be relegation clauses in most of those contracts because they protect the club and the player. Obviously, the players that don't want to play in the championship, there will be figures in there that will be triggered by other clubs if they want to come in for them. Likewise, if those players move on, it protects the club because they can't be taking huge wage bills into the championship because the FFP constraints are even tighter in the championship. So there will be. And there'll be um, there'll be other clauses as well, pay cuts for certain players as well. But the, the real big wage earners, they'll, they'll try and uh, get off the books now. And I think there'll be a lot of interest in some of Leicester's players as well from other clubs as well, because individually, you know, they are, there are some talented players in that squad. It's a squad that shouldn't have been in this position. Um, you know, this is a squad that's uh, finished in the top 10 for the last five years. Uh, two fifth place finishes, nearly qualified for Champions League. Last year, I was uh, returning from a, a European semi final in Rome at the Stadio Olimpico. And now, you know, they, there's the real prospect of going to uh, Plymouth and and all these cl- clubs that we thought years ago um, we wouldn't see again for a while. But um, no, we're going back to the Championship. What was the atmosphere atmosphere like uh, among the match-going fans, Rob, in the King Park? You, you looked at the, the scenes at Ellen Road and certainly there was a toxic atmosphere there, probably because of the performance and results, uh, especially on the last day. But 
Leicester got, got the job done on the final day and, and did what they had to do in getting the win over West Ham. We did see some scenes of some fisticuffs between some Leicester fans or Leicester fans in the crowd um, at different points. Yeah, yeah. Like, but was it a, was it a hostile atmosphere? Was it just accepting? No, no, it wasn't hostile. It was very mixed. It was very strange, in fact. Um, the atmosphere is the best I've experienced in the King Power for a long time, up until news filtered through that Everton had scored. Um, uh, even Valtfar's um, second goal, there was celebrations for that. But towards the end, when everybody sort of realised that there was going to be no comeback from Bournemouth to save them, there was a strange muted atmosphere. There were, were a, a little fisticuffs in the corner of the, of the West Stand between a, a, little, a little group of fans. But at the, at the final whistle, there was... Um, booze and applause. There was a mix in the far corner by where the, the hardcore Union FS lads, uh, they held up a banner and they were chanting for John Rook in the direction of football to be sacked. They still want um, some recrimination and uh, uh, they still want to smell some blood in the hierarchy of the club. But I think a lot of people were just resigned to, to, to relegation and stoically were talking about getting straight back out. Um so it's a real mix. It was a real mix. It wasn't quite as toxic as Leeds. So in terms of um, coming straight back up, let's assume that a new manager comes in. Uh, the parachute payments give you that one season where you have a big opportunity. Some of those players, there'll be a market for, but not a huge market, and maybe they decide to keep them. Is somebody like Vardy, who might score a hat full of goals in his last season uh, in the championship, is he going to stick around? Or like his, his wages are big, so... Um, yeah, his wages are big. He's the highest earner at the club. He's still got a year left on his contract. Uh, we will wait and see what Vardy plans to do. I, I know that he's been very committed to Leicester down the years. You know, he, he he's wanted a legacy. He he wanted to. I mean, that's why he turned down Arsenal in 2016 to stay at Leicester and build this legacy. And he felt a sense of loyalty to the club because they took a chance at him when nobody else would from non-league. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw Jamie Vardy. Uh, leading the line in the championship next season for Leicester and trying to get them back and, and then perhaps hanging up his boots at the end if if he achieves that. So um, I wouldn't be surprised, but I think he'll probably have to take a massive pay cut. So Vardy stays. Madison, he's gone, is he? He'll, he'll be sold. Yeah, even if they'd stayed up, he would have been sold. He's their asset. Uh, they have to get back to that model of selling an asset and, and reinvesting it. So And there are takers for James Madison. He's a talent. He's just got into the England squad. So that he would have gone regardless. Um, now they've been relegated. Harvey Barnes is probably the other asset that they will sell off as well and try and reinvest that because this squad needs a huge amount of, of investment now. I mean, there's so many players leaving. There's seven out of contract. There's another eight going into the final year of their contracts, including Madison and Vardy. So um, a lot of work needs to be done over the summer to get them ready. And of course, the championship season starts early on the 5th of August. So uh, they haven't got much time. They, got, they can't hang about if they're going to get a team out for that opening day. And, and before that, bizarrely, they're going off to Singapore and Bangkok to play Tottenham and Liverpool in a Premier League pre-season event. I mean, that's how much people uh, didn't expect them to be in the championship. It was funny watching the, the, the players parading around the pitch after the match, Rob, and I was reading some Leicester City fan forums last night and, and, and a lot of them talking about the, the players not playing for the badge this season, players being treated like superstars at this new training ground. Like, Is there, is there an element of that and, and, and an element of, I guess, distaste towards some of the players from some elements of the fan group as well? Yeah, I mean, you've always, always got to be a little bit careful with fans' forums because people go on there to vent. <laughs> uh, but um, y- yes, there is an element that they, they have too cosy a life at Seagrave. I mean, I, I've written in my article this morning about, in The Athletic about the um, 
the change of atmosphere around the club when they moved from their old training ground at Beaver Drive to Seagrave. Seagrave is just incredible. Um, they spent £100 million on it. It's got everything there that they could possibly want. The the mantra is that there can be no excuses. You know, They've got everything they need to succeed. Uh, but there was an element of the fact that they were getting a little bit um, spoilt and there was efforts taken to stop the players from being spoiled. Like Brendan Rodgers uh, removed table service in the club restaurant. They had to take their plates back up themselves and things like that. But at the old training ground, they all used to eat together. The, the youth team, the under-23s, the staff, the office staff, they would all congregate in the in the little canteen they had there at various times. There would be club ambassador Alan Birchnell taking the mickey out of the players. There'd be banter flying everywhere. There was a family feel, a connection, camaraderie. They were all in it together. Down at Seagrave, the, the first team players uh, sat at one half of the, the restaurant, uh, away from everybody else, and the under twenty threes, under eighteens, and the rest were in the other part of the restaurant. There was a disconnect, and I think that doesn't help when you want uh, camaraderie, especially in a relegation battle. Rob, great stuff. We leave it there. Thanks a million. Thank you, guys. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.